Welcome back to the Commercial Real Estate Investor Podcast. I'm your host, Tyler Cobble, and today we're joined by none other than Andy Zhu. Andy, what's going on, man? Nice to see you, Tyler. I'm happy to be back on the stream. We took a day off yesterday. I'm, if you guys missed us, I'm sure you did for the CREI. We took the day off for 4th of July celebrations, but happy to be back tonight with you all. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I'm excited for tonight's episode because, you know, Andy and I figured we would jump on and just give you guys an update as to where we are uh, with the company, what's been going on for the last few months and, and talk about starting a commercial real estate business. How do you get off the ground and running uh, with your with the investing side of things? Right. Because that's what we do here at Hamilton, uh, which is my development and investment company. We acquire real estate, we renovate real estate, we redevelop, we raise a lot of capital from private investors, whether that's you know friends and family money or it's through accredited investors. I mean, we're constantly raising capital. So short plug, if you're interested in investing in real estate, give us a call. Um, but you know, we figured it would be pretty appropriate to just kind of walk you guys through uh, the first nine months or so of the company, because we started it back in October. I actually hired Andy in November, December, um, and since then, gosh, Andy, how many people do we have employed? You've got five interns. We've got Joseph. We've got uh, James starting in a week, and we've got Jordan. So, I mean, we've got quite a few. I guess there's 10 of us now, um, which is kind of crazy to think about, and we're actively looking to hire even more um, for the company. I mean, that's, that's kind of Andy's new role is moving into hiring and getting the right people on the bus. I mean, plug as well. If anyone is looking to potentially look for a new career, um, we can talk about this a little bit more at the end, Tyler. But we're we're actively hiring right now, so uh, feel free to reach out to us. I'll, I'll I could actually give you guys a little bit more description about that later on. But that is in the works. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so let's let's give a little bit of background um, real quick on. I guess me and where we started off because that'll help give a little bit of context for how we've been able to do what we have done uh, in the last nine months. So I got started in commercial real estate. If, if for those of you who don't know me or haven't been following the channel for a little bit, uh, back in October of 2013, and uh, started off as the in-house leasing agent for a commercial real estate development company that was doing office, retail, industrial multifamily. We were doing single family customs, townhouse developments. I mean, you name it, we were doing it. So I got the experience uh, that most brokers don't get. Um, fast forward to February of 2018, I left, started my own company, which was the Cobble Group. So that is our commercial real estate brokerage. I've got Parasol, which is our commercial property management company. Um, I started that six months later, so also in 2018. And then we really started Hamilton, I guess, back in October of 2020, which is kind of crazy considering uh, the absolute madness going on in the world in 2020, but development actually very much so picked up in Nashville. Um, the majority of the projects that we were working on at the brokerage were actually developments because they operate on a much longer time horizon than your typical investments, right? They're looking five to seven years out instead of the next two, you know, 24 to 36 months. So that makes a big difference um, with your investment criteria. So that's that's kind of where we got started. And uh, that's that's when Andy came in. Andy was, I guess, originally an analyst, right? Yeah, fresh out of college, bright-eyed, bushy-tailed, ready to underwrite some deals. I mean, the kind of funny thing is, Tyler, and we were talking about this the other day, when, we, when I first 
when Tyler first brought me on, I think the thought was, hey, Andy, we'll, you know, like underwrite a few deals this year and then put together a couple reports and do some research and kind of just do some basic stuff. And then from there, it just, it became a nonstop, just freight train barreling down the tracks of just deal after deal, opportunity after opportunity. And that's where we are now and why we're trying to staff up so heavily because it just kept growing and building on itself because Tyler had laid such a strong foundation to start out with, right? And that's kind of what we wanted to describe for you all a little bit today, share with you kind of the thought process and that growth process of how we know we took it from, you know, you know, Tyler by himself to then two people then to you know 10 by the end of the year who knows right so that's what we're here to talk about today yeah so you know I I think that I get asked all the time how do you get started in commercial real estate development and to me starting off immediately in development almost gives you I guess it puts you at somewhat of a disadvantage because all you know is development right and there's nothing wrong with that I mean, that's the the end goal for most people. But I think starting off in some other sector of the industry is a great way to get going, right? Start off as an architect, start off as an engineer, an attorney, uh, a commercial real estate broker like I did. I think that that adds um, so much to what you're trying to accomplish uh, because you understand another angle of the industry, right? Like you understand brokerage or you understand architecture. So you at least have a leg up on other developers in that respect. Absolutely, Tyler. And so I guess I got kind of lucky. I kind of skipped the bag, but even uh, I did, you know, residential and my own personal investments beforehand. So, you know, on a very small scale, I learned about it myself as well. So I think in, in terms of getting started, I absolutely agree. It's good to connect yourself with whatever aspect of the industry that you can and if you know development is in your is one of your passions building stuff and creating cool projects and really trying to impact the community and the neighborhoods around you i mean i think that that's essentially you know as much as for the money is like trying to impact the neighborhoods around us and that's why we're focused so heavily on east nashville here um, where we're based right because it is very important for us that the community grows. And so if you know that's in your horizon, you know that's something that you wanna do and wanna work on, absolutely getting started wherever you can and at least industry adjacent is is going to give you a really good foundation to get started there. Yeah, I think that's an important point to, to, to hit on and I will talk about that, like kind of picking your niche. Um, but for everybody that's joining us live, if you have any questions on commercial real estate development, on commercial real estate in general, uh, feel free to drop those in the live chat and you know, we'll definitely jump on those. Uh, I mean, that's what this is for, right? We're here to answer your questions about commercial real estate. So we'll, we'll talk until, uh, until you guys start asking questions. So, uh, you know, when we first got started, I mean, our niche really was East Nashville, Madison, because that was, you know, that's the side of town that I know really well. It's where we've been doing brokerage for the last three years. So when I look at a deal, I understand immediately that that is, whether it's a deal or not, right, which gives us a leg up as developers, as investors, when we're going to look at a property, we just understand it better than anybody else. And so that helps pretty significantly, right, in in all aspects. One, 
We know that the deal will has a higher chance of success because we understand what's going on in the market. But two, that makes it very easy for capital when they are looking at investing with us. They go, okay, well, these guys know the neighborhood very well. They have a successful track record of other projects in the neighborhood. Uh, so, you know, to us, it's, it's a much easier sell. Now, one thing I will say, right, like when you're starting off your commercial real estate investing company, you're not going to have a track record, right? I mean, you're, you're not going to have a, a track record of successful investments. You may have some of your own. Use those, right? If you've done smaller projects that were successful, list them in your track record. Um, I would also lean on uh, any partners that you're looking to bring into the deal. I mean, to me, that was huge. The first few projects I did, and I still do it to this day, I bring in bigger investors than myself, myself into the project because they bring that credibility and a whole new level of experience, wisdom, knowledge that makes sure that we're checking every single box that we need to when we're looking at these deals, right? Because... You know, we may be uh, incredible at doing projects in East Nashville, but we've never been through X, Y, and Z scenario. And chances are good somebody that's been around for 8, 10, 12 years has. So to me, that's very important. Building the right team around you is is pretty critical when you're going through that process. So um, again, you know, going back and talking about your niche, I mean, now our niche is it's still East Nashville, Madison. We've expanded into Chattanooga which is really a very similar market to East Nashville because you've got a, an outdoorsy, younger, tech, hip demographic, which I'm all about. So we love that market. But, you know, we, we go for projects that have some sort of neighborhood impact, right? I mean, it, it has to get us excited to get out of bed in a different way because we'll make money doing anything, right? That's the beauty of real estate. You can go build the most boring thing, over and over, rinse, wash, and repeat, and make money, right? But to me, that's not fulfilling. It's not all that fun. So we want to do projects that, that kind of push the envelope in the realm of commercial real estate. So whether that's, you know, the, the wash project that we're doing, which is a six-bay car wash conversion into micro restaurants and a bar. I mean, that's Nothing like that had ever really been done before. We're looking at developing the first zero energy ready single family development uh, that Tennessee has ever seen. So to us, you know, that's that's what gets exciting is when we can start looking at these projects that are just absolutely different. Let's see. B-Dubs jumped into the live chat with a question. Uh, what is your favorite advice for creatives who want to own commercial property to house their business who are in the idea stage with professional experience, i.e. restaurants, concert venues, doctor's offices. Man, doctor's offices are actually the easiest uh, the easiest business to get financing for. Uh, I, I'm pretty sure like most doctor's practices and especially dentists, I don't know, I guess it's because dentists have such a low rate of failure. Um, they can get almost 100% lending right out of school which is kind of crazy, but it's because they're so successful, um, which is really exciting. I would say, you know, put together a very good business plan and figure out how to come up with, you know, maybe 15% of the total down payment that you're going to need, including construction costs. So 
but let's let's put that in, into perspective. When you go in and buy a, um, let's make it very round numbers, a seven hundred and fifty thousand dollar property, and you're going to spend two hundred and fifty thousand dollars in construction just to renovate it, get it ready for whatever. You can actually lump those two together in a single loan with the bank, and you need to bring fifteen percent of that down, right? So you'll need one hundred and fifty thousand dollars to pull that that project together. So. Um, you could actually go way cheaper than that if you explore SBA loans, um, which are out there. And I think, I mean, Andy, do you know those are in the three to five percent range? I believe. Yeah, they're pretty competitive for a business loan. They're they're pretty nice. Yeah, so you only have to come up with three to five percent. Your interest rates will be, I think, in the in a decent range. Um, now, it is a process to go through the SBA. Uh, loan approval. Um, but I mean, if you don't have to come up with 10%, right, you only have to come up with three to five instead of 15, that makes a huge, huge difference. So um, I would look at it that way. Or this is this is probably getting a little more creative, go find an investor that is willing to front all of that capital with you, because they will be able to buy a property have a tenant in hand, and you can get ownership in it. We've actually negotiated deals. I'm working on one right now where we've got a tenant in hand and we have a property under contract. And there's a chance that we're going to give this tenant 10% equity in this building just for signing a lease with us because it allows us to go to the bank, get better terms, and we don't mind giving away 10% equity in the property if the deal makes sense, right? So we can just kind of bake that into the rent and it works. So it was great for him because it makes sense on a monthly payment basis. He has more security in his future in the property and he gets equity, right? He's building equity instead of just paying rent. So uh, I hope that helps B-dubs. I absolutely agree with everything you said, Tyler, and I will just add on. I think if, if you know, you are creative in that area and you're trying to figure out how do I go from my business being an idea to owning my own real estate? I mean, I think it's not a bad idea also to partner up with other people in your industry, you know, have a couple of people go in and take it down together, right? If you're a um, couple of restaurants, you know, ideas, maybe you can figure out. I don't know how to share some kitchen space if, if, if it makes sense for you to do it that way and the faster you get to ownership the better right and so as long as you can have a strong business model and then you can then justify between each other and then you know okay in a, in a partnership especially here's how everything's going to work out if this scenario happens then we're going to do this and if someone you know wants to do this they want to leave the company i'm going to do this as long as you can have that worked out then i think the, as many people you can partner with to get started, I think the faster you get your foot in the door into ownership, I think it's going to be better for you and your company. And then you're just going to see the opportunities are just going to magnify and multiply from there. So don't be afraid. I think Tyler was kind of alluded to this. We, you know, giving a 10% away to a tenant, you know, they're like, wow, you're going to give away so much money. It's like, don't be afraid to give away you know, some equity or whatever at the end of the day is just, you know, zeros and ones on a piece of paper, right? If it makes the deal work for you and it means you can get something that you otherwise wouldn't have been able to get before, right? It's much better to have some percentage of something than 100% of nothing. 
So that's another thing that I would throw out there as a possibility for you to get started in those types of projects. Yep, absolutely. And just as far as, you know, with you being in the idea stage, I mean, just throw together a brand deck, throw together a business plan, you know, show show the bank what you want to do, show them your track record, why they should take the chance on you. I mean, banks do this all the time. Banks love owner-occupied real estate because it checks every box that they need, right? It's it's lower risk, it's commercial real estate. I mean, it's just it's perfect, right? They don't they don't they're not taking the the investment risk with everything, so uh, or at least it's lower. Um, so hope that helps. Uh, it's it's definitely a good path to take. I mean, we've got plenty of investors that started off uh, just buying space for their business, and then they grew from there, right? So that's a that's a great way to handle it. Um, yeah, I mean, what, what else do y'all want us to, to talk about? We can talk about financing. We can talk about raising capital, uh, going through and finding deals. I mean, there's a, there's a lot that, uh, we can really touch on. I want to make this kind of an active conversation with y'all, uh, as the, uh, viewers, um, and as the followers, um, so that we can make sure that we're touching on everything, but let's talk about deal flow. So one of the biggest complaints that we get, or not that we get, but that I hear, from other investors is, hey, there's just no deals out there. There's no deals, can't find a deal. I mean, look, that is, uh, it's just, you know, whenever you hear that, uh, in my opinion, it's people who are not, they're just not looking, right? You're not looking hard enough to find a deal. You've got to turn over every rock, right? So one, we've got the brokerage, right? So I've got my own agents in-house that are helping us find deals. But I also have agents at other brokerages that I have spoken to and said, look, if you bring us a deal, you can represent me. My brokerage doesn't have to be involved. I think it's very important if you're going to have a real estate license, you make that very clear on the front end. Because then you'll get access to deals that you may not otherwise get, um, which is which is pretty critical, right? You can't, you can't just segment yourself away um, from every brokerage out there to bring you opportunities because there's no way that your in-house group can call every single seller. And that's very important. Uh, we also send letters to property owners in the farm in the area that we're farming. Um, you know, we send those out once. I mean, we haven't sent them out in a little while. We typically send them out to, we try to touch each property owner in our farming area once a quarter, give or take. We're about to start that back up again. We send handwritten letters and postcards. Makes a big difference. I mean, they get opened. When that, that address is hand-addressed on there, people, they just open it. So you get calls. Um, and then also just being out and networking. I mean, I'm constantly out in the market talking with people, letting them know what we're looking for because you have to, right? I mean, I, I make sure that everybody knows exactly what I do. Every person that I meet, it's, hey, do you have any real estate you want to sell? I'm buying. I'm, I'm actually buying a hotel from one group. I met with them last week. Um, I ended up getting them to invest in the project that I'm doing. And I asked them if they had any other properties they want to sell. Well, because I asked that question, now we're looking at another project out in, uh, well, further south of Nashville. So, you know, you've got to just kind of stay on that game and make sure that everybody always knows what you do. That's the beauty of social media. I mean, look, y'all are watching me on YouTube. I'm telling you, hey, we're actively looking for more real estate. We're actively looking to raise capital. We're actively looking to hire more people for the company. And because of that, I guarantee you, 
will get at least one email from somebody uh, wanting to fulfill one of those three things. So, uh, which is which is exciting, right? It makes my life that much easier. So just be out there, make sure that people know who you are and and that you're constantly staying in touch with everybody. I mean, that's that's the best thing that we do uh, to turn up deals. I mean, Andy, do you have any other suggestions there? Yeah, I would just go ahead and add on to that. Not necessarily of finding more deals, Tyler, because again, the, the moral of the story is that uh, in, in real estate and really in life, other people have what you want. <laughs> you yeah. know, other people will have the money or they'll have the deals or they'll have, you know, whatever it is possibly that you could want. It's going to be with other people. Somehow other people are going to be involved. You cannot do this game by yourself. So in that case, the best way to find more deals is to talk to more people, period, end of story. And then the question is just how to talk to more people. But if you kind of keep it simple and really just understand the fundamental philosophies, just say the more people who know what I'm doing, the more people I talk to, the better it's going to be for me, then that makes it really simple mantra of talk talk to human equal more deal, right? So that's uh, <laughs> what I want to say for that level. And the second thing I want to add on to that is that that's why we're in the position of where we are. And that's why I said, you know, we're in this position because Tyler was able to build such a strong foundation because he's been doing brokerage for the last eight years. Right? He's been talking to people every single day, following up with them and learning and meeting new people. And because of that, now he's reaping the rewards of people he talked to and met three, four, five, six years ago. So even if you're just getting started, and nothing happens for a while, do not feel either that it's, you know, a waste of your time. As long as you're, you know, being a good person, you're not being a douchebag and just going up to somebody <laughs> and saying, I only want your money. I only want your real estate. If you don't have anything for me, I'll never talk to you. It's, it's as long as you don't approach it from that aspect, you approach it from I want to meet people genuinely and interact with them. And if something works out, then it works out. Then, you know, two, three late years later, if you keep talking to them, you run into them again and say, hey, are you still doing that? And they said, and you say, yeah. And they said, hey, I've got this thing I want to sell. And that's that's how it happens. That's really genuinely. And it sounds like there's no way it is really genuinely how it happens and why have all this deal flow. And we're able to be in the position where we're at to start scaling really, really heavily because we realize, oh, there's really a lot of deals out there. We want to take them all down. We need to get the personnel to be able to do so. So that's really the a little bit of extra color I wanted to add there to that finding deal process and how to grow and how to expand. Talk to more people. That's it. Yep. Real estate is a long game, right? You can't just come into this business and sprint and expect to get anywhere. You might have some success here and there, but the majority of the deals that were brought, the majority of the investors that we have, it's because we've known them for a long time. And, you know, of course, we're adding new investors to our list every day, and they are actively investing in our deals. But now we have a track record, right? So it's it's very different for these newer guys to look at us and go, okay, well, they've, they've raised, I don't know, well, we've closed on 25, over $25 million worth of real estate this year alone. And, you know, for them to look at that and go, okay, well, these guys clearly know what they're doing because they're going out and raising all this capital is totally different than when you're doing your first project. So building those relationships over the long term really makes a, a lot of sense. I highly recommend it. And just being a good person, right? I know that that's so basic to say, but 
Just be a good person. I mean, look, you got to realize one of the first lessons that you learn in sales is just because somebody says no today does not mean that they're going to say no tomorrow. So you've got to treat that. You got to treat everybody that way. And uh, you never know who people are friends with too, right? Like just be a good human. Um, it, again, it seems so basic, but you'd be amazed. Miguel's jumping in the live chat. Long time no see. Yeah, good to see Miguel. Uh, I'm not starting my own company yet, but I am starting a CRE club at my college. How would you attract people to join your mission? Hopefully this isn't a vague question. Thanks. Miguel, I love that. And I'm actually going to turn that one over to Andy because he was involved in the Vandy Real Estate Club, which is why we have all of the interns, the awesome interns that we have. Uh, so Andy, what, what, do you, what are your thoughts on starting a commercial real estate club at college? Miguel, number one, that's a great thing to be started. I think it, it, it's cool to talk about commercial real estate, I think, to explore and share that with people because for me personally, it was never an industry that I considered or even you essentially existed, right? When you grow up and you think about careers and people ask you what to do, if they say real estate, you think realtor, right? If you say, I want to work in real estate, they think you're just going to be selling houses. And not to say there's anything wrong with that, but that's what people think. No one thinks about this whole level of other stuff of financing and development and construction and then all this kind of stuff that we're doing, even architecture, engineering. No one thinks about that. Right. So to explore that and to show that as an opportunity, people, number one, is really awesome that you're willing to do that and that you're sitting here wanting to learn about it as well, watching this video. The second thing I would say is uh, I want to to email me <laughs> because uh, and I think you can find my email on our website. It's Andy at investwithhamilton.com. I was friends with the guys who founded the Vandy Real Estate Club, and they started the Collegiate Real Estate Network, CREN, CREN, and they're essentially trying to link all of the real estate clubs like nationwide in college in order so that people have background support. And they, they put out, for example, they put out a free essentially course that they put together last year from different resources online and get, made exercises for people to learn underwriting 101 learn underwriting and i did worked on it right so that is a really invaluable tool and so if you're trying to start one at your own email me and i'll see if i can't get you connected to the founders of that group because i think that would be the best people to talk to about how to get it started at your place yeah i love that um, cool. Well, as I said earlier, if you're jumping in the live chat, let us know, uh, or if you're jumping on the live stream, let us know your questions in the live chat. We're happy to cover any aspect of commercial real estate or development or starting your own company, uh, whatever. We can we can dive into that as well. So with regards to financing, I mean, financing is always, it's always more difficult than uh, people make it seem. And it always takes longer. Like th those are probably the two biggest takeaways that I have of going through the financing process. I mean, look, as a broker, you're dealing with the investment side of things. You're doing some underwriting, but you don't really necessarily deal with the banks. You know, banks, um, I mean, we put together now, I mean, Andy and his team put together entire presentations solely for the lenders because it's that's how important that is. I mean, I cannot uh, emphasize enough that the lender is your biggest partner in the deal. Right. So treat them as such. I mean, I, I go and pick up our lenders. I'll drive them to the property. I walk them through everything that's going on there because I need them to fully understand what we're doing. Because your loan originator 
is going to be going before committee and pitching your project, right? They are actually selling your project to the bank. So the more ammo that you can give them, the better they understand the project, the, be- the more comfortable they are with you, the better chances you have going out and successfully financing that deal. Now, um, yeah, so like I said, get them involved as early on as possible because it always takes longer, especially right now. I don't know what it is. Appraisals are taking forever. Somebody just told me that their lender said it's going to take five weeks to get an appraisal back. I told them they need to pick a different lender because that sounds crazy to me, but lenders don't really have any say over how long appraisals are taking. Uh, It's just how crazy the national market is. Um, When you're going through the financing side of things, I mean, Andy, from the underwriting perspective, what do you like to make sure that lenders understand? I mean, so here's here's the, um, the difference between how you want to present things to the equity investors versus the lenders. And really, it comes down to deal structure and returns, right? For the lender, they don't necessarily care if your equity investors get paid. I know it's kind of, <laughs> you know, it's it's kind of sad to say, or, you know, it sounds kind of mean, but like, they, they only care if they're, if your debt service coverage ratio is going to cover enough to make sure that their lend, that their loan doesn't go under and that your property is relatively risk-free enough that your business model is going to make sense. That is the most important thing to them. The type of returns or how, because, you know, for our investor package, we'll be saying, hey, we think you can get a 10 or 12 or 15 or 20 percent, you know, return and we're going to give you this much money back. Lender doesn't care. Lender doesn't care about that. And, you know, in fact, that can just often clutter up the the deal and investor. So uh, for for them, right, to see. So what all they really need to see is your business plan. Make sure you have really breakdown of every unit of you know that you're renting out why you're renting it at a certain rent what your you know vacancy and occupancy levels are what your assumptions are and you know does that make sense in terms of a business plan and that's why you kind of write out as much as possible your business plan and your strategy and does that fit in with what the community and the neighborhood and the local market is doing right does that fit are you something just completely out of the blue? Do you have comps to support what you're doing? And if you are doing something unique, because a lot of our projects are unique, are you conservative enough to make sure that, okay, yes, this might be the first ever project of its kind. No one's ever converted a car wash into restaurants before, but you have underwritten it. You have so under, you know, you projected your rents at a certain number and you really think they could be double that and it still works okay great right so we have a lot of wiggle room in order to make this deal work because we have so much flexibility we've underwritten projects so conservatively conservatively i'm sorry so that's the type of stuff that you would want to be making sure that the lender knows and can see all your assumptions details of why right at the end of the day they're not going to be necessarily even as involved or as an expert as you are in the deal and even in real estate in general the lender doesn't necessarily know all the nuances and all the different strategies and all the different things you have to do to get a real estate deal done they just need to know what they 
like the information, the piece of information you're using, why you're using them, so that they can explain your whole spreadsheet, your underwriting sheet to the lending committee, right? At, again, Tyler said, they are pitching your deal, right? You want, <laughs> you want that loan. So make it as easy for them as possible, explain as much as you possibly can, and that's how you get a lender to say yes. Yeah, and one thing I'll add to that too is, you know, again, going back to the, you know, don't get upset just because they say no. One thing in commercial real estate that is very different from residential, if you're transitioning from single family homes or or maybe even multi and even multifamily, right? Commercial lenders have buckets and limits for every different product type because they also have to diversify their risk, right? So we always engage at least three banks. I typically do local banks because most of our projects are under $20 million. Anything over that, you really need to start looking at sourcing debt from you know the more national guys. Um, but you know you really want to get three different guys involved because or girls because every bank has a different bucket right and so we'll call a bank that says hey we actually love hotels but we can't have any more on the books because we're too heavy in hotels if you have anything that's office space bring it to us we'll we'll gladly take a look and then you know you'll go to the second bank and they'll say actually yeah we love hotels we don't have enough of them and you know we just had a quarterly meeting uh, with the board saying they they want more hotels on the books so just because you've worked successfully with one commercial lender in the past doesn't mean that they'll say yes to your deal necessarily and it could have nothing to do with the project and the great thing is too they'll still give you your, their feedback um, typically they'll say, you know, Hey, yeah, typically we would, we would do this deal or we wouldn't. And here's why, which always helps. And, and often more often than not, they'll actually have another lender or somebody that they could actually refer you to, uh, that, that may be interested in that project, which helps out quite a bit. So that's, uh, I mean, that's really it for financials. Um, also, I mean, of course, banks are going to want to see your financials on commercial loans, especially if they are. Uh, it, what we do, right, which is heavy value add or ground up development, you'll be likely personally guaranteeing the loans. So we always send them a personal financial statement that's up to date. Um, you'll want to have that prepared. I, I typically have my CPA send that over. And then two to three years of tax returns. Um, that way, uh, they can, you know, just see what your financial status is, right? Charles Rowan is jumping in the live chat. Good afternoon, everybody. Good afternoon, Charles. How's it going, man? Um, so let's talk about raising capital because that one, we, we've done videos on raising capital, putting capital together um, for your projects. If you're interested in that, highly recommend go, you go check that out. Kind of walk through the process of how to really properly do that. Um, as far as you know, what we've learned uh, over the you know nine months since we started the company, I think that um, the phrase "you find a good deal and the money will come" is a big dirty lie. <laughs> I don't think that that has ever happened for anyone ever, right? Because you have to have pre-existing capital relationships. Just because you have an amazing deal doesn't mean that people are going to give you money for it. it I mean, it just doesn't. You could have the best deal in the world. But if an investor can't get comfortable with you, then it doesn't matter, right? If they can't get comfortable with your, uh, your process and how you're going to, to run the project, it doesn't matter. 
So there's there are far more ingredients involved than just finding a good deal, quote unquote, right? Um, I mean, you know, we've we've had plenty of projects that I thought, hey, we've teed this up. I mean, look, on, on the $25 million worth of real estate that we've acquired, a couple of them have come down to the wire of raising capital. And it's always the most stressful part of the project because all of the work that we've done for months and months and all of the money that we have personally invested into these projects means absolutely nothing if we can't get the project funded. I mean, there were multiple times when I came in and, uh, I mean, look, on, on the largest deal we've ever done, which is a 330,000-square-foot shopping center, I came within t- t- two times, came within one hour of either losing a couple hundred thousand dollars that I did not have because I borrowed the money to go do it or pulling the deal off literally within an hour. I mean, I was working on December 31st at like 11 o'clock. I mean, we just, it, it, because at midnight the deal expired, right? And it was just, which that's, that's another pro tip right there. Don't ever, ever close anything in December. (laughs) Nothing happens in December. Nobody's doing anything. Nothing will get done. The closing will not happen. Yeah. Especially during COVID. Oh, it's terrible. So, uh, that's a, that's a little pro tip for y'all. I mean, it was just, it was stressful. So, you know, look, uh, going through the capital raise, I can't stress enough that, you know, you want to be constantly talking to capital sources, whether that's going out and meeting people and saying, Hey, do you have $25,000? Do you have $50,000, $500,000 to invest in real estate? Here's what we do. We're always raising capital. I mean, you guys will start hearing me now that now that the channel has gotten as big as it has, we're going to be telling people that left and right, because I want everybody to know that you can invest with us and invest in our projects because it helps me on the next capital raise. The more people that I have that know what we do, that are interested in our projects, the easier it's going to be. I mean, I've got buddies that have been doing real estate for 30, 40 years now that can raise $15 million overnight. It's amazing, but it's because they have this, this longstanding, absolutely positive track record and they've made all of the contacts and just have the right people to call. And it's, it's again, it's the long game, right? You can't come in here and just expect to raise $15 million on your first project. Uh, it's tough. So that's one thing that I, I would just want to reiterate with you all. I mean, when it comes to raising capital, it's not, it's not a walk in the park that everybody thinks. Um, your deals are usually not as good as you think they are, too. <laughs> Um, very rarely do we come across deals where we're like, yeah, that somebody brings us that, that we're like, yeah, this is actually a screaming deal. Usually it's not. Usually there's something that's completely messed. So, you know, that, that, that also shows you, and, and I'll, I want Andy to talk about this here in a minute, but properly analyzing and researching the project to, to make sure that you are underwriting it correctly. But first, I'm going to, Charles is asking a couple of questions. Let's jump on these. Let's see his first one. How do you protect yourself from the lender or someone else copying or stealing your deal? Uh, put it under contract. <laughs> Nobody can do anything if you have it under contract. Uh, that's that's really the best and pretty much only way that you can protect it, unless you um, unless you don't tell anybody the address or anything. Which at that point, it's not going to matter, right? I mean, a lender cannot even give you a quote on the property if they don't even know the address. Oh, he's, he's, it's a, this next one's a follow-up. Would you change the name of the property? Would you have them sign an NDA? I, I wouldn't do either of those. Um, honestly, I mean, if you don't have the property under contract, there's nothing worth working on. 
Um, I was dealing with a group earlier today uh, that's putting together a plan for this for this site, and I asked them if they had it under contract, and the answer was no. And I, I said, look, there's no point in spending all this time, all this energy, all this money to potentially plan a deal that will never happen because you don't even control it, right? I mean, think about that. I won't disclose any names, uh, but earlier this year, we were working with a client that um, we found the one building in Nashville that worked for them. I mean, I'm not even kidding you, the one building, because it was such a specific use and, and there's just no, there's no inventory in Nashville, right? So we found one building and I said, guys, we need to put this under contract right now because the chances of our finding anything else that remotely fits you, anything like this, it, th that chance is very, very slim. And they said, no, it's been sitting on the market for a year. We, we think we're fine. We'll just go ahead and do our due diligence and then we'll put it under contract. That way we don't waste any time when we put it under contract. And no matter how many times I said, look, that's what due diligence is for. That is when you perform all of this stuff, you control the property. I mean, look, I, I explained everything to them and they wouldn't listen to me which is incredibly frustrating as a real estate professional when somebody hires you for your expertise and then they just push you to the side and do their own thing. But whatever, like I know what I'm talking about. So they came in and um, spent a month and a half working on this property. I'm telling you, they, they engaged an engineer. They were talking, I mean, they were doing the whole thing, spent a whole bunch of money. And by the time, you know, keep in mind, yeah, sure, it sat on the market for a year, but we all, it was 2020. It was a pandemic. Uh, by the time that we came back to the property, it had four other offers on it, four other offers. And we ended up going up on our bid. I want to say 20%. Like we, we went 20% over our original offer, which is a lot, right? I think we offered like a little over 2 million. We ended up coming up to two, five or two, six. So it was a pretty significant increase. And they lost it. They still didn't get the property. And it was just one of those moments where I was like, man, I I mean, I didn't want to say it and I didn't say it, but you kind of want to be like, I told I told you this would happen. Like I I don't know how to deal with that. So I mean that that's a heartbreaking story, honestly, because that group never found anything. And and they won't. I mean, they won't. So it is very, very important that if you find a project that you think can work, now don't just go tying up properties, right? Don't just go out there and throw everything under contract and try and work it. You want to make sure that it is a deal that you could probably close on. Uh, we have never backed out of a contract on any of the projects that we've ever done. And that is a, that is a very strong track record that you want to show sellers too when you're negotiating. Because I, every time I come in, even if there's another buyer at the table, I can show them, look, here's everything that we've closed, and here's what we renegotiated on it, which nine times out of ten is nothing unless there's some sort of structural issue with the property or environmental, right? Like stuff that you know the, the seller really should have known. We haven't, we haven't renegotiated. We haven't tried to retrade the property. Uh, that's, that's just as important. So – you know, that, that's a very long tangent of uh, how to handle that situation. But I would say get the deal under contract. If you think that it's a deal that you can close, typically we'll do some quick back of napkin underwriting to make sure like, hey, yeah, this works. 
And then we'll have the team do the full underwriting. We'll go through getting our construction numbers. We'll engage engineers. We'll get the surveyor in the phase one, you know, environmental reports going um, as soon as we have it under contract. But I, I refuse to spend a dollar until I have control of the property. And I'll add to that too, Tyler, that it seems really scary to put your name out there. And I get why people don't do it. It seems so scary. Oh my gosh, I'm going to put up XYZ and earnest money and then all this stuff. And what happens if I don't get it? Well, that's why you have, you know, refundable due diligence period. There's a period in which your due diligence and your earnest money is going to go hard, which just means that it is not refundable. And then you're going to lose that money if you don't close. And that's what you write into your contract. But if you talk to any real estate lawyer, and you should before you just send out, you know, an offer to somebody, you know, have it reviewed by a real estate lawyer that is worth paying for. If you, you should have some protection in your, in there, you know, minimum is usually for a commercial property minimum is usually 60 days before uh it, it can be shorter if you like really are sure you have to do it for some some reason but it takes a long time to line up surveyors and property inspectors and engineers to come out there it's like it's usually going to take them two or three four weeks to get there and then they have to sit around with the report so you're not even gonna get you know, if you schedule the stuff tomorrow, the day after you close or you get a, you know, offer signed, then it's still going to be another month or so before you get any information about it. So that being said, you know, you're not going to throw your life away if you make a mistake by putting down your name and your earnest money on a contract. You can get out of it. And even if you have to lose your earnest money, that sucks. No one wants to do that. But again, you know, it's not like you're going to be forced to buy a $5 million building or otherwise you're dead, right? It's, you know, that is the worst case scenario is that you lose your earnest money. But even that is extremely unlikely. Usually the worst that will happen is that you will order some tests, a few thousand dollars, and then let's say it's just the building is just completely ruined. You're buying a building or you're buying a piece of land and then there's like 10,000 gas tanks underneath. You're just never going to make it work. Okay. You, you, you lost some time, you lost a little bit of money, but you tried, right. And you've got some experience. So it's really the, the downside, it seems super scary, but it's a really a lot smaller than you may th be thinking about in your head. Yeah. And look, that's also one of the reasons why deal sponsors make the money that they make because they're taking an exorbitant amount of risk in order to pull these deals off for their investors, right? Deal sponsors are the general partners. They're the ones who are going out there, finding these deals, putting them together. I mean, we're buying a boutique hotel in East Nashville, or we're buying a hotel and converting it to a boutique hotel. And I'm about one hundred twenty-five to $150,000 into that. And we're set to close that at the end of this month. Now, we don't. I don't have any reason to suspect that we're not going to be able to close. But if we weren't, we are now at the point where I wouldn't get any of that money back, right? And so you have to be willing to take that risk and lose that money. Now, would it hurt to lose that money? Absolutely. I mean, that's that's a lot of money. Is it the end of the world? Absolutely not, right? We can go out and do another deal, make up for it. We learned. We'll do better next time. Uh, now, I haven't lost any money doing deals like that. I'm not interested in doing that whatsoever, which is why I have helped put together such an amazing team as what we have. Now we know like, man, we've got some 
amazing people on the team that are covering every aspect of the deal so that I can make sure that, you know, I, I may miss something, but Andy might not miss that, right? James might not miss it and Jordan might not miss it. So as long as, you know, you're willing to take that risk that, I mean, that look, that's what it takes to become a deal sponsor. That's at the end of the day, that's, that's it. You've got to be able to go out there and do the deals. Um, so yeah, uh, B-Dubs is jumping in. Hypothetically, if I set a meeting to pitch the two of you on a concert venue concept that could scale to the point of a merger and acquisition with a promoter like Live Nation, what would you expect to see from me? So B-Dubs, what I would say is, um, as far as a business investment goes, I probably wouldn't be interested, uh, no matter how good it looks. Uh, I invest almost exclusively in commercial real estate. I did invest in Daisy May, the hat company of the hat that I'm wearing. Um, we've done a couple of projects with them. Yeah, Andy's, Andy's got the hat too. Um, shout out to Gage, Daisy May. If y'all are interested in hats at all, go check them out. I mean, they're amazing. Gage is just, a, he's an artist. Um, but I, I rarely invest in small businesses uh, just because they are so, so risky and there's no tangible asset behind it to help retain any value. So I have to be very, very comfortable with what they are doing. Now, if you came to me and said, hey, look, we want you to go find us some land and lease to us as your tenant and we want to do a concert venue, then you know I would want to see a business plan. I would want to see a brand deck to show you know what's the kind of theme that you're going for. Uh, I would also want to see financials. Who on your team is going to help pay for this? And who is going to guarantee the lease, right? Because that would be a build to suit, right? Which is which means that we're going to go out and find the as a developer, we're going to go out and find the land. We will build the building for you, but it's all going to be based upon the lease that we sign, and that lease is only going to be as strong as the people who are personally guaranteeing it. So I'm going to need some people who have some serious capital and a lot of cash behind them to do a build a suit for such a custom specific type of project for that. Uh, let's see. He's saying, so to clarify, it would be a real estate play because of the venue purchase. So you're looking at, are you looking at purchasing a venue? Um, because then it's still going to be the same thing, right? We've got to find an operator to lease the space to. That's what I'm going to get the loan based off of. That's how I'm going to get my investors comfortable with doing this deal because we always buy the real estate and we buy the income that it produces. So as an investor, I have to know how that income is going to be produced. I don't want to buy real estate necessarily and create a job for myself. Now we are doing that on the hospitality side because we have done so much hospitality at this point, it just makes sense for us to do it, right? So we're starting a hospitality company that's going to manage our hotels because we're working on two that we're building and then a third that we're consulting on the design for as well as I'm doing a bar and a restaurant. So at that point, it just makes sense for us to, to start the operations company for hospitality. I mean, if I was going to go out and build five concert venues, um, then, then I would probably say, okay, well, let's, let's look at, at, okay, saying purchasing commercial space and fitting it into a venue. Yeah, so same thing. We would have to, you'd have to bring me the tenant that's going to lease it for the venue. Who's going to be paying me rent? Um, I don't really care what kind of shows they do as long as they've got financials that are strong enough uh, and they don't tear up my property. You know, that that to me is what's most important. Andy, what are your thoughts? 
Yeah, B-dubs, I would say for any, and this is for anyone who's looking to get a loan, get in anything, because when you're starting out a small business or even buying a small, small commercial real estate deal, I know we've talked a lot about the financials of, hey, what does the market size look like? And what are your assumptions? And what do you think that we're going to be doing with this property? Where do you see the market going? There's all these things. At the end of the day, it is a startup, even whether it's for a small business that is the promoter itself asset right it's kind of like a startup and just as tyler said the lease is backed by whoever is running it so you and this is startup entrepreneurship 101 the number one thing you are selling is yourself right so you know the thing you go on tv you gotta you know sell me this pen or whatever why should i buy this pen you gotta you gotta let me know why you are a awesome operator you have done XYZ in the past that that allows me to know, okay, you're going to be able to do it again. And even if you haven't done it in the past, do you have someone on your team who has done it in the past? Do you have someone on the team who has a lot of skills in this area and can pick it up really, really quickly? And are you being consulted by someone who has done it in the past, right? This is the number one thing because at the end of the day, you know, business models change. Right. Plans change. Strategies change. Even in the real estate business, sometimes you'll buy a property. Right. And then we'll realize after talking to lenders that we may want to change our strategy. That happened in our Chattanooga deal. Right. When we were originally just going to do only office. Now we're going to be doing apartment units as well. It was after talking to local partners. We talked to the Chamber of Commerce. We talked to the banks. We talked to everybody around. They said, apartments is going to make this deal way better so we said okay let's do it but that only happened because we were as operators nimble enough and ready enough to be able to change and pivot to what the market needed what the market wanted so that's what ultimately is the most important all the business model all that kind of stuff is very very important as well but how strong are you what are your thoughts? What are your experiences? What are your values? Who are you trying to be? What are you trying to go? What are you trying to see? That is what we need to see as like an investor. That's what the bank wants to see. That's what everybody wants to see. So that would be honestly my greatest focus is, is on putting a deck together that can really sell both yourself and the concept. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you look at this boutique hotel project that we're doing and We've got more like our personal financial status is more than enough to cover what we are doing. Uh, but from a from an operational perspective, it's as soon as the bank gets comfortable with that, the first question is who's running this deal? Because it doesn't seem like y'all have any hotel experience. And we're like, yeah, we don't. That's actually why we brought Jordan in to do this. Because it's it's super important. It's it's amazing how important it is, but it makes sense, right? I mean, they they're trying to 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 take the least amount of risk possible. So they want to make sure that any deal that they're doing has the most talent possible to pull it off. Because at the end of the day, numbers on a spreadsheet they're pretty, they look great. They do not matter if the team that is running the project does cannot pull it off. It doesn't matter. Like that is, um, that's in my opinion, the team that you have doing these deals is like 99% of the deal, right? It's like what they say on Shark Tank all the time. Like I'm not investing in the, in the business. I'm investing in you as the entrepreneur. I mean, that's, it's, it's very, very true because 
I'm I'm a very big believer that a a strong operator can take a terrible deal and make it okay, um, or even great, and that a mediocre operator can take an outstanding deal and make it awful. It's just that's just how it works. Um, Andy, I wanted to uh, tell you this. So Mark just texted me and he said. So we've got we've got a we were talking about hiring earlier. We've got a job posting out for an analyst for the company right now, and uh, we'll walk through all the other positions that we're hiring for too, just so you guys know exactly who we've got on the bus. Um, but for for the analyst job, we wrote such a, we wrote a phenomenal description, and you know because we're a different company, right? I mean, look, I'm covered in tattoos and wearing a hat and. You know, Andy's 23. <laughs> so like we're, we just do things a little bit differently. <laughs> um, but uh, he's saying, dude, you're getting masters in statistics, masters in quantitative financial analysis candidates, which is really cool. I mean, we're getting candidates for this job that all have masters in mathematics, which is great because I didn't even graduate from college. So that's pretty exciting. <laughs> hey, Tyler, I'm on the college dropout train too. So I'd, <laughs> I dropped out of my master's, so. Oh, come on. You dropped out of your master's. You went to Vanderbilt. Like, <laughs> boo-hoo. <laughs> I'm a college dropout, Tyler. I'll <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yeah, wear that scarlet letter. You must be so ashamed. <laughs> no, that's a that's a pride point for me. I know. That's hilarious. B-Dubs is saying, thank you for the detailed insight. That gives me great direction. Absolutely, man, anytime. I hope that helps, seriously. I mean, it, it, it really does come down to the team. Um, and whoever's going to be, whoever's signing on that line, how are they backing it up? Right. It's just like, uh, what we tell everybody when we're talking about our, our single tenant net investments, like you're buying the lease and the income that it produces. Right. And so like, you're not necessarily buying the building, you are buying the building. There happens to be a physical asset that is involved with that, but you are buying the income that it produces. And that income is only as stable as the individual or corporation guaranteeing it is. Right. I mean, if I went out and bought a Macy's single tenant, I mean, who knows if, if I would ever get that money. Right. And so to me, you'd have to take uh, you'd have to get a much higher cap rate on that because it would be a much, much riskier. Um, let's talk about everybody else that we are um, like all the positions that we have on the bus. So, like, look, when we first started off, it was me. I mean, I, I'm running, you know, mostly business. I mean, well, back in the day, I was doing everything. Right. It was it was me. And then I brought Andy on and we were doing, you know, kind of some stuff. But now with the 10 people that we have on board and we're looking to hire five or 10 more this year. So I'm focused on business development and raising capital. Right. So, of course, I'm, I'm involved in the higher level types of deals. Right. I mean, I'm coming up with the strategies, finding the projects, figuring out what we're going to be doing with this with the site. Right. And then I'm going out and I'm meeting people. I mean, my my goal by the end of this year is that I'm meeting like 20 people a week who are interested in investing in commercial real estate, because we have so many projects that the capital is a problem because we're tapping out our capital really quickly, which is a great problem to have. It's, it's the opposite of just not being able to find capital. But we keep finding these amazing deals. And so we're just constantly churning. So that's pretty much what my day-to-day looks like. Um, Andy, well, I'll let Andy kind of tell what he's doing. We've got Jordan, who's our project manager and designer. 
he has a background in hotels and hospitality. And so he came up in hotel development. And so he kind of oversees and coordinates the projects as they are being run, right? So everything from touring contractors on site, walking them through our vision to meeting with the architects and making sure that we're making the right selections for chairs, right? He goes all, you know, all the way. That way I don't get bogged down in the details. He has a much better eye for that. And I don't have to, you know, get bogged down in the details. It works for me because that mean that relieves me to say yes or no, I don't like that. Yes, let's do that. No, I don't like that. Instead of having to sit in all these meetings and I can spend that time going out and raising capital. Uh, we've got James who's starting here in uh, this week. He's starting pretty soon. Um, so he is a, he'll be our project manager as well. And he is a licensed architect. So he'll be helping us, you know, not only coordinate all of the different projects that we have going on, but he'll be helping with um, some minimal design. I mean, we're not going to be doing full architecture in house. That would never make sense for us to do, but it will help with floor plans. If we have tenants come in that say, Hey, we want at least 3000 square feet. Can you lay this out for us? Absolutely. We can. Can you do, uh, it'll be, it'll allow us to do as builts so that as we're planning these projects, um, then, you know, we can know exactly the square footages of everything. That's one thing that people don't do is measure the square footages of the buildings that they're buying. And when you don't do that, uh, you end up underwriting a project that doesn't actually exist. Yeah. I did and, that with my house. Yeah. I was gonna say Andy's nodding his head cause he's been there. He's been there, done that. Um, then we've got Joseph. Uh, Joseph was Andy's first hire. So Andy's hidden talent, apparently, that we just figured out this past week is, is finding other people and helping them get on the bus because he's really good at hiring. So Andy met Joseph at Vanderbilt, and Joseph is our analyst. I mean, he helps us underwrite all of these deals um, with Andy, and then they'll, of course, meet with me, and we'll talk about all the numbers to make sure everything makes sense. But Joseph builds all of our models from scratch because he is just a wizard when it comes to Excel. So, and you have to have that, in my opinion. Once you get to this level where you are raising um, not quite institutional level capital, but you're getting up there, I mean, they want to make sure that you have taken into account some everything, right? And and I'm not going to even start to pretend like I understand all of the formulas that are going on in those spreadsheets, but I do understand what the numbers are and what they need to be. And uh, Joseph helps make that happen. So Andy, I'll let you kind of talk about what you do and then introduce the the interns and kind of what you have them working on. Absolutely, Tyler. So yeah, I mean, essentially, I came on doing what Joseph is doing now, writing, running the underwriting for the deals, making sure that our deals looked right, and we have good projections into the future. And so I hope too. I'll just preface this before we continue anymore that you guys are getting kind of an understanding of how to build out a team like this and the types of different roles and the types of different responsibilities that you're going to need for people to, you know, really have a successful real estate company if that's of interest to you all at some point in the future. So just wanted to lay that out there. Hopefully you guys are enjoying this breakdown here, but I was essentially doing what Joseph was is doing now and putting together presentations and and spreadsheets and all that kind of stuff so that we had that to give to our lenders and stuff. I'm still doing that right now. Um, a lot of my time is still spent doing that, but the reason we're trying to hire, and so what else I was doing was trying to create content for our blog. 
for YouTube, for all these other places. And that's where I have a lot and doing just, you know, market research, trying to figure out different things. Because you're going to have to, when you go underwrite a property, you're going to want to see, hey, what are all the other developments going on nearby? Are we going to have more competition? Is that competition actually going to be good? Because it's going to give us a new set of comps that we can compare our property towards. And then we can actually make it a better project. It's not actually competition. It actually helps us. And does this retail project that's going here, is it going to help our multifamily? And if we're a retail project, is more multifamily going up going to help our project? So it's all those kind of things you want to know. And you want to know all the different zoning codes and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, I frankly don't have time to sit down and, and go have a deep dive into all that stuff anymore. When I first started, I read Nashville's zoning code, probably front to back three or four times. And I would recommend if you want to get started in your city, do that. It will be the most boring period of your of your life. You will fall asleep and you will hate it. But you will know so much more than probably the majority of people in the real estate professional space. And then you'll be able to know, like I know off the top of my head, okay, commercial space, 0.8 floor area ratio, uh, mixed use limited, 1.0 floor area ratio, mixed use general 3.0 floor area ratio and if you're doing downtown you can get you know it's just a height restriction so i know that off the top of my head so that makes me able to be able to underwrite back back of neck and underwrite based on land size based off whatever you know i can figure that out way faster and and that's what you you know you want to be able to get to so i would recommend doing that but i can't do that right now so that's what we have our interns doing a lot of research a lot of basic trying to figure out all that kind of stuff which are the fundamental building blocks of you being able to underwrite anyway so that's kind of what they're focusing on so why we're trying to hire another analyst is so to take me off of that role as much as possible and try to figure and focus more on the strategy and the personnel of the company and so in that case we're hiring an analyst obviously uh, trying to get another full-time person to work with joseph since joseph's actually you know still in school you know he's doing all this stuff and he's still in school and he's got some classes to finish up still so it's gonna you know that's going to affect you know as much time as he can dedicate because you know he right now is summer break you can dedicate full 100 percent it's not going to be the same when he's back in school right and so we we're going to need someone to help me with that and we're also going to try to hire a brand content manager to help work and coordinate kind of all of the stuff we put out here on youtube on tiktok on our blog in order to you know help generate research to essentially kind of proofread and edit a lot of the reports i have my interns generating a lot of reports I have so many reports that I've had them write just kind of sitting there waiting to be edited that I haven't just sat down and taken the time to proofread and edit and, you know, and format the right way. It takes a lot of time to do that. So that's where we're hiring someone to really help manage that and push that out there to help us expand our brand. We're also hiring two brokers. We have so much commercial real estate and we're getting buying so many projects right now that we just need more people to help work on our projects so we're both hiring someone to do leasing and we're also hiring someone to do more kind of investment sales especially in the multifamily arena and and trying to build that out as part of the brokerage brand because tyler has pretty exclusively focused on for for good reason on just the other aspect of commercial not multifamily because it is so specialized as compared to the other sectors but 
where we are in the company and the deals we're starting to see and then the opportunities are starting to come in front of us i think the reason we're trying to expand into that is because we were really genuinely seeing a lot of opportunities there so it's just starting to make sense to try to bring that in-house and the last one tyler we have five what was the last one remind me yeah so we've got the the brand manager slash content manager we've got two brokers so the leasing and the investment um we've got the analyst and then we've got a construction manager um so uh, we're that that one's kind of lower on the totem pole right now, just because we have so much going on. But look, if the right person came along and said, "I want to help you start up the construction division of your development company," we're not going to turn that down. Uh, we're also going to be hiring a uh, a client and investor account manager, somebody that can come in and love on all of our investors, follow up with them when we're going through these capital raises, because. You know, I've got, I guess, over 2,000 people on our list now. Well, I don't have time to sit down and call every single person and have a conversation with them to see if they're coming into the deal. But we really need to be doing that, right? And so, you know, for us to, to start, you know, I want somebody to come in that's going to help us set up dinners and, and drinks and happy hours and whatever with investors and send out letters and send out gifts and all that kind of stuff. Because we're kind of at that point where now it makes sense. Let's keep our investors fully engaged in what we're doing because we're constantly raising capital. So, you know, we need to, we need to be um, in that range. Now, that is uh, by no means a, a complete list of everything that we're going to be hiring because we're growing so fast. I would imagine we'll be bringing on some more positions in, in, in the near future. Uh, but if you're interested in that, uh, get a hold of Andy. Um, email him at andy at investwithhamilton.com. Um, you can also just go to investwithhamilton.com and find us through there or comment on the YouTube video. Um, I'll, I'll gladly um, get you in touch with us. Uh, but yeah, um, you'll probably have to relocate to Nashville. None of this stuff can be done remotely. Um, <laughs> so that's part of it. I mean, if you're, if you're interested in that. But yeah, so that's you can see kind of what we're doing with our team. And we're fully building out a team to help us with everything. And there's a lot that goes into underwriting and financing and operating these deals. And we want to make sure that no balls get dropped anywhere because the last thing that you want is to disappoint your investors, right? I mean, that's at the end of the day, you know, like I said earlier, losing money is not fun. I mean, it really hurts. But the last thing that we want to do is disappoint our investors because that is the only way that we can continue to do the next deal, right? Is if we keep everybody happy and they want to give us their money again. So that's, it's pretty important to keep that in mind. Miguel is saying, uh, you mentioned earlier about interests and more employees. Perfect timing. Could we talk about future internships, summer 2022? I'm learning how to model now and would love to work with you all. Absolutely, Miguel. Uh, get in touch with Andy. Um, you know, we could even talk about you coming on an internship around your classes if you wanted to. I mean, we're working with some of them uh, to do that. So yeah. I mean, we've always got stuff to do. One class credit, you know, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, Andy, is there anything else you want to cover uh, while we're talking about it? No, Tyler, I think that's really it. And, you know, I just today I really wanted to give everyone a kind of a perspective of, of seeing because you can go back and watch our videos from half a year ago. And I recommend you do that and kind of see like we had a I think we had a 
video actually just talking about you know the projects we're doing a little update and kind of what the company was doing back then versus now and kind of our perspective and attitudes and stuff that has changed and that kind of even ties back into what uh, b-dubs was talking about earlier about you know the business and how to look at investing in a business and what's the most important it's it's the team it's having the right people it's having a vision it's having kind of you know a set of values that guide you and the business will come the money will come it will be hard i'm not going to say it's going to be easy right it's been a lot of work there's been a lot of <laughs> a lot of sleepless nights but at the same time you know if, if you find something that you track on you really love and enjoy to do i mean that is such a great feeling and whether it is commercial real estate for you all or not i highly recommend you explore it because it very well could be because i think tyler and i don't want to speak for you but i assume that this is true because you're, you're you've been doing it for the last however many years is that this is one of the most fulfilling things that i've personally ever done and just knowing where we can possibly take this it just that is as meaningful to me as anything else is being and doing work every day that I really enjoy and that I can feel like I'm making a difference doing. Yeah, it really is fun. I mean, the, the thing that I love about real estate, like, look, at the end of the day, are we any different from a hedge fund or private equity or anything like that? No, right? Like we could be just a private equity fund that invests in stocks and bonds and make money, right? I mean, we feel that of course, real estate can have better returns, which is why, and there's our tax advantages and other re, and leverage, which, so there's many reasons why we invest in real estate over other asset classes, but you also have an impact on the neighborhood around you, right? Which I think is just, it's so cool. You know, you think about, I, I talk about retrograde coffee all the damn time because I go there every day. A couple of buddies of mine did that project. It's so much fun. I mean, it's it's on a corridor that is starting to turn around that hasn't seen a lot of activity in 50 years, 50 years. So they came over, took this old decrepit building and put a coffee shop in it. And now it's one of the hot spots on the corridor. And you just think about how neat that is. These, these guys took a chance on this concept. And because of that, you know, there's people writing a thesis in there. There's people meeting each other for the first time. There's people in there getting coffee to cure their hangover so they can go back down to Broadway to party again. You know, I, I just, I love everything about that. It's really cool. So there are so many reasons to love real estate. Uh, B-Dubs is saying the hats are fresh, by the way. Thank you, B-Dubs. Again, Gage is an artiste. Uh, he is awesome, man. He really, I mean, they're all custom. They're all handmade. I mean, he's, he's amazing. Since I was 12, I was saying you guys are helping me. Love that. That's, I mean, look, that, at the end of the day, that's that's 100% why we're here. I mean, if you go back, we've got over 100 videos helping you understand commercial real estate. Uh, that is the goal with this channel, just to teach commercial real estate. When I was getting started, we did not have, uh, I mean, eight years ago, I did not have the content. It, it, and it, there was no way to learn. Like, it took me forever to learn commercial real estate. There were, like, books on Amazon, and that was about it. I mean, it really was. So uh, this is, uh, I love that, uh, you know, new people, younger people coming up are going to always have this content to help them learn. I think that's really cool. Uh, Miguel is saying, thank you, Tyler and Andy. Absolutely. Uh, that's a great note to end it on, you guys. Thank you for jumping in with all the questions and, and helping us spark a conversation. Let us know if there's any topics that you would like us to cover in the future. Andy and I are always happy to hop on here, do a live um, cover some specific topics for you guys. 
If you're listening on the podcast, please rate and review. It means so much to us so that we can keep bringing this content to you. If you're watching on YouTube, don't forget to like and subscribe. Definitely hit that bell so you get notified every time that we go live. And we will see you guys next time.